Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The Gospel for this weekend is a very interesting Gospel passage. In fact, it's one in which many preachers have a very difficult time preaching on. It begins, Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. A household of five will be divided, two against three and three against two. Now, this statement by Jesus Christ tells us exactly who he is and what his mission is. Now, after Vatican II, the tendency for the church was to downplay or underplay the fiercer aspects of the biblical Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, God is all loving, all kindness, all merciful, all compassionate. That's true. But whether we like it or not, the biblical perspective of God is also fierce and judgmental. Now, when we hear that word judgment, in our culture, that's unacceptable. You know, we live in a day in our society in which, you know, we say to one another, you do whatever you want, you live however you want in your lifestyle, who am I to judge you? Well, that may be true for our culture, but not in the Bible. God is judgmental. This gospel passage proves it. Now, should we be anxious at this? Should we be afraid? No. In fact, I would argue we should be happy and even excited about this gospel passage. Now, notice what Jesus says. Do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Well, then he sets out to say, or it appears that he says, that he's going to divide us all. Worse yet, even divide our families. As he says, a household of five will be divided. Two against three and three against two. A father will be divided against his son. You know, a daughter will be divided against her mother. Now, this doesn't necessarily sound like the Prince of Peace talking, but it is. So, what are we to make of this? You know, these different conflicting images that Jesus gives us? How are we to resolve this dilemma? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what does God's love look like in a world gone wrong? because of sin. What does God's love look like in a world that has become dysfunctional because of sin? Now realize, God is love itself. God's love for us it never changes. It's always consistent. It's always there for us. It never weakens. It never bends. It is never taken away. God's love is always constant. It always has been it always is and always will be for us. But how do we perceive God's love? 
Well, we perceive it in the context of a fallen world due to sin. St. Thomas Aquinas once said, Whatever is received is received according to the capacity of the recipient. I'll say that again. Whatever is received is received according to the capacity of the recipient. Let me give you a good example of this. Say you love Shakespeare. You love quoting Shakespeare's plays. Well, you also have a little child, a three-year-old. And so one day you come up to that three-year-old and you begin quoting Shakespeare's plays. Well, after a while, that child goes screaming into the other room because he doesn't know what's going on and he doesn't understand it. Now, your perception is, oh, this is terrible. This child of mine, he doesn't love or appreciate Shakespeare like I do. Well, that's your perception, but that's not reality. This three-year-old child doesn't have the capacity to understand Shakespeare, let alone love it like you do. See, now take that and apply it to the spiritual life in this gospel. God's love is always the same for us. It never changes. But when it breaks into our consciousness, based upon how we are doing in the spiritual life, it will be perceived in different ways. What's the implication? If we're doing well in the spiritual life, well, then we're going to perceive God's love as gentle, compassionate, loving, merciful. If we're not doing well in the spiritual life, it'll appear harsh and judgmental. I'll give you another example. You're having a bad day. You're in a grouchy mood. What's the worst person to be around? A fellow grouch? Well, no. You know, misery loves company. You can commiserate with each other. What's the worst person that you would find obnoxious? Well, a very cheerful person. You know, a very cheerful person, when we are in a grouchy mood, we would perceive them as being objectively obnoxious. And yet that's not reality. Instead, this person is just simply filled with a pleasant disposition. But we perceive them according to the capacity of how we are feeling at that time. Well, I'll give you another example. We learn to play a game, poker, sheep's head, maybe a board game. Someone teaches us and... It appears that after a while, they're being hard on us. They're nitpicking us always. Whatever we do, you know, don't throw that card, throw this card. You know, don't throw that card to trumpet, throw the other card. You know, wait, it's the other person's turn to throw the dice. Yours is next. Well, it perceived that this person is nitpicking us, hard on us. But in reality, they're just trying to teach us how to play the game. So we know how to do it. Yet our perception is different. See, the world, from the biblical perspective, is a dysfunctional world. You could say a dysfunctional family. G.K. Chesterton once said, we're all in the same boat together, and we're all seasick together. See, this is what original sin does to us. Look at Jesus himself, his ministry, and his life. When Jesus comes into this world, some people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious establishment of the time, they perceive Jesus as what? Troublemaker, an agitator, a boat rocker. Get rid of him. The very people that perceive him that way are people that love and want to maintain the dysfunctional world that Jesus is trying to change. They want to maintain the old order in which the world was governed by sin and death. That's why they perceive Jesus as a threat, as a troublemaker. 
Now, what we have to realize in this gospel, Jesus doesn't come into this world to cause division and chaos in our life, but it can be perceived by others that way as harsh and judgmental, those that don't welcome Christ into their life. What we have to understand in this gospel, we see God's great passion to set all things right, things that have gone bad because of sin in this fallen world. Go back to Genesis. Remember the Genesis, the story of creation? It says that God walked in easy fellowship with Adam in the cool evening of the garden. That's where God wants to take us, back to that moment, before the fall of grace, when sin was ushered into this world, made this world dysfunctional. God wants to go to that moment in which we can walk in easy fellowship with God in the garden. So Jesus tells us he's going to divide a household of five, two against three, and three against two. What does he really mean by this? He wants to break up the dysfunctional order in this world. He wants to make sure that this world is no longer governed by sin and death. And so he has to break it up, divide it, in order to create now a new order, one that's based upon peace and love and the promise of salvation. Another great example of this, you have a coach. He sees an athlete, a girl or a boy. He knows that they have a great deal of talent. They're very skilled. They're very athletic. And yet, as they're batting, as they're swinging the bat, he sees that their mechanics at swinging the bat are really poor. So he goes over to them and he says, here, you got to hold the bat this way. And when you swing the bat, you know, raise up your right shoulder, lower your left shoulder, stick out that elbow. Now swing. Well, at the beginning, the player is going to perceive this swing as painful, awkward. They're going to say, you know, this just doesn't feel right. And yet after a while, when continuing to practice and practice, now their swing is improved. And yet they perceived that this was going to be bad. Yet in reality, the coach knew. The coach knew what he was doing was right. See, that's exactly what Jesus is referring to in the gospel. When Jesus says, I come to set a world on fire, he doesn't enjoy seeing us suffer. No. Instead, he wants to burn away all the things that are in this world that are opposed to God and God's will. That's why there's no contradiction between God's gentleness and his mercy and God's fierceness. There's no contradiction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Again, go back to that phrase of Thomas Aquinas, whatever is received is received or perceived by the capacity of the recipient. Basically, at the heart of the message is this. If we are in a good spiritual health, if we are practicing our faith to the best of our abilities every day of our life, then we receive God's love as something that's gentle, pleasant, merciful, and compassionate. But if our life is off kilter because of sin, if something else is at the center of our life rather than Christ, whether it's fame, fortune, honor, notoriety, whatever it is, well, then we will perceive God's love as harsh, judgmental, something that we can't live by. Now, with that in mind, turn to the second reading from Hebrews. Notice what it says. Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us, 
while keeping her eyes fixed on Jesus. This is a great statement of the spiritual life. If you want to know what the spiritual life looks like, turn to the second reading. He says, let us rid ourselves of the burden of sin so that we can run the race. Well, what does that mean to run the race? To share a life with Christ. Now, any of us who's ever run a race before, we know before the race, we have to rid ourselves of certain things. We say to ourselves, well, I need to lose 10 pounds. I need to work on my form of running or swimming. I need to eat a better diet. So we do those things because we know if we do those things, we have a better chance of winning the race. Well, take that to the spiritual life. You know, in order for us to truly draw closer to God, we have to rid ourselves of the greatest burden, which is sin itself in our life. Notice what he also says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, when we run in a race, when we see the finish line, we know that's the goal. You know, when we see that finish line off in the distance, we know that's it. And then we can summon the courage and the strength to say, yes, I can make it. I can cross that finish line and finish this race. Well, the same thing holds true with us when it comes to being fixated on Christ. If we are fixated on Christ each and every day of our life, we know that's the goal. And therefore, we can summon the strength and the courage to continue to live out our faith in fidelity to Christ. Again, go back to that gospel. When Jesus says, I have come to set a fire on the earth, he wants to burn away all the things that are keeping us from drawing closer to him. And see, that's at the heart of the spiritual life. Ridding ourselves of the burden of sin, drawing closer to God, and then being fixated on the presence of God in our life. If we do that, then this gospel shouldn't be something we're afraid of. Instead, this gospel passage should be something that we celebrate and embrace. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.